0: You're listening to High Temperature Times, your source for tips, tricks, and information in the refractory industry. My name is Griffin Patterson, and I'm an application specialist with Harbison Walker International. We're all pretty busy this summer, either catching up on work travel after a two year hiatus or getting in some much needed family time by taking a couple days off to the nearest beach. As such, I thought I'd bring a quick one-shot episode to you on something we all sometimes need to hear. This month, we'll be taking a short trip into the world of one-sided versus multi-sided dryouts. When I find myself walking through the old Refractories 101 presentation, we come across two categories of materials, shaped and unshaped products. Unshaped products are your castables, gunites, shock cretes, plastics, etc., etc., while shaped products are materials like bricks. But they can also include a facet of unshaped products too, which are precast shapes. These are castables that have been poured into a mold and left to set before being removed from said mold. After dryout, they can be treated almost exactly like the rest of the shape products. They can be laid and mortared and treated just like their brick counterparts. But it's important for us to zoom in on that dryout section a little bit. As you're probably aware, all refractory products need to see heat through some sort of firing process. Bricks undergo this after the pressing process, where they're loaded onto a kiln car and run through a firing cycle, either in a tunnel kiln or a periodic kiln. Some brick products are burned at very high temperatures, while others are baked at relatively lower temperatures, but they all see heat to develop some strength in handling and better insulation slash performance capabilities. Unshaped products, like castables, gunites, or plastics, see dry out in the field, where heat is applied to one wall and diffuses through that lining until all the water in the lining is is removed. Jeff Bogan and I spoke on this many moons ago in the dry out episode. Check it out if you're interested. But basically, the water that is added to activate the lime, make the material flow, and stick to the wall, must be removed. Some of that water gets removed at its boiling point. While some water gets trapped in a crystalline cement hydrate phase, it gets removed at subsequently higher temperatures. This is why refractory droughts of unshaped products goes all the way to 1,200 Fahrenheit. As crazy as it is to believe, there is still water trapped in that castable product at 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's not a lot of water, and for a lot of materials, it's not a detriment to the castable, but a full dry out means dehydrating that last calcium aluminate hydrate phase, freeing up that last roughly 10% of water, pushing it through the lining, meaning you have a fully dried out castable. As a quick note, calcium aluminate cements undergo three dehydration steps to reach their final point in a cement-based castable. The first happens at 440 Fahrenheit, where approximately 20% of the casting water is released. Remember, it's called a dehydration phase for a reason water is being removed from that from that calcium aluminate cement phase. The second happens at 530 Fahrenheit, where another 20% is removed. And the third, as we've already mentioned, happens at 1020 Fahrenheit, with the remaining roughly 10%. Anyways, things change a little bit when you're dealing with shaped castable products, which we'll call a precast shape. We handle dryouts a little differently, and for good reason. When precast shapes are dried out, they're put into a kiln like bricks were, this means that heat is hitting them from all sides. This is very different from a regular unshaped castable dryout where heat is only hitting one side of the material. In those standard castable dryouts called a one-sided dryout, the water is being forced away from the side, seeing the heat, and towards the shell. This is why you might see the shell of a unit sweat or steam or drip. The water is moving away from the heat. Now in a pre-cast-shaped dryout or a multi-sided dryout, the water is being forced towards the center. So again, the water is still being forced away from the heat, but that means inwards this time. So you have a refractory body with water being concentrated in the center of the refractory. Even more, this means that the water must leave as steam. Remember when water turns to steam, there's a volumetric expansion of approximately 1,600 times. This increase in volume is what causes the high pressure inside the lining. So we must make sure to convert that water into steam very slowly, prevent it from doing so at the very center of the refractory. We need to make sure the steam is leaving at approximately the same rate that it's forming, lest the pressure buildup be higher than the material can withstand, leading to explosive spalling. We don't want that. It's not a good look on final products. This makes precast dryouts somewhat more challenging. We need to slow down the ramp rate and ensure the entire refractory body has a more homogeneous heat distribution, and we must add extra holds to make sure that the water fully escapes its steam before more water is released from subsequent calcium aluminate dehydration phases. So, even if you're using a material like, say, Versflow 45, where a one sided dryout will allow you to go straight from room temperature to 1200 Fahrenheit at 100 degrees Fahrenheit per hour with absolutely no holds, you shouldn't do that when using Versflow 45 in producing precast shapes it can only go at that accelerated plus dryout schedule as a one-sided dryout because the material is exceptionally good at allowing water to pass through the lining towards the shell without allowing the pressure to build up. This is called permeability, and it's a measure of how well water can pass through a material. However, this doesn't mean much in a precast shape because we're not forcing water out of the refractory body in a multi-sided dryout. We're forcing it into the refractory body, towards the center. It's kind of a double-edged sword here because... Sure, the higher permeability means that steam can more easily escape without the pressure buildup, but it also means that free water can more easily permeate to the center of the refractory body before undergoing its massively expansive phase transformation. As such, regardless of the material's permeability and its one-sided dryout potential, it's important to slow it down by utilizing more conservative ramp rates and adding extra holds at key dehydration points. Another important facet of precast-shaped dryouts is the dryout's final temperature point. As I mentioned earlier, one-sided dryouts for unshaped refractories go all the way to 1200 Fahrenheit to get every last drop of water out of the hot base of that material. This isn't necessarily the case for precast shapes. Sure, you can go all the way to that point, but it's not doing you any favors. The goal of a one-sided dryout is to remove all the water from the lining and run straight the way up to operation. One interesting note, because of a refractory's ability to dissipate heat through a lining, you'll never fully dehydrate a castable material, since the cold face of the material probably isn't going to hit 1200 degrees Fahrenheit. You didn't design it to do so because you don't want glowing hot steel for a shell. But that's not actually important. As long as your hot face does its job properly, it will be fully fired and operate exactly how it needs to. And besides, if you abrade away or rode away some of that hot face, what's behind it will quickly do what it needs to do to become exactly what its meat shield front was doing before. Anyways, back to talking about that 1200 degree Fahrenheit point. Some customers or applications will actually go back down from 1200 degrees Fahrenheit to room temperature to allow for inspection or further work. Those that do might find small amounts of surface cracking on the lining of the vessel. This is because refractories, and all materials for that matter, expand when heated. It's not a crazy amount of expansion, but it's enough that when the material cools back down, it shrinks and small surface cracks open up to allow that shrinkage to happen. Those cracks might be unsightly, but they're not a problem. Any cracks smaller than a quarter inch will then close themselves back up as the vessel sees heat and begins to expand again. But one interesting thing about that 1200 Fahrenheit one-sided dryout is that it's not actually any stronger than when drying out to a lower temperature. Think for a second about an unfired refractory material it's still very weak. I mean, you look at it the wrong way and it'll turn back to mud. And a fully fired sample is hard as rocks. Well, it is rocks, but you get what I mean. You might think that the strength increases linearly from that unfired point all the way to that high fired point, but that's not true. Don't believe me? Look at the data sheet. If you look at materials like Versilo 45, Green Clean 60, Mizzou Castable, you'll see that M.O.R. and cold crush actually decrease from 230 Fahrenheit to 1500 Fahrenheit. That's because at 230 Fahrenheit, over 50% of the added water has been removed from a castable, the rest being trapped in a cement hydrate phase, which actually possesses some good strength. Meanwhile, all the water has been removed by 1500 Fahrenheit, but the issue is that cement isn't actually providing any strength here. In this region here, you're too hot to get good strength from cement bonding, but not hot enough to get that stellar strength from ceramic bonding. This is actually why we show that 1500 Fahrenheit point on our data sheets. It's where you might expect the refractory to be its weakest, and also where a lot of the clever tricks used by refractory producers don't really work. So by drying out a precast shape all the way to 1200 Fahrenheit, you're not getting more strength. In some cases, you might actually be getting less. On top of that, you're then having to deal with that somewhat unsightly surface cracking that can come from the natural thermal expansion and permanent linear change in the material. Therefore, we recommend precast shapes get dried out to roughly 650 Fahrenheit. With this temperature, the precast body will have removed 90% of its water, with that last 10% being incredibly stable in that C3AH1.5 hydrate phase while dehydrating the two less stable phases. It also ensures that the shape will have good cement bondage strength and not see too much surface cracking from thermal expansion. Once the shape is then placed into service, that first ramp up will allow the material to finally remove the last of that water and will operate admirably in service henceforth. So. What does a precast dryout look like if it's not the ones that I can find online? Well, it can vary depending on the brand used and the size of the shape. So I would wholly recommend reaching out to us at tactical-marketing at thinkhwi.com to get a formal dryout schedule for precast shapes, but I'm also not going to fully leave you in the wind. So generally we recommend keeping the ramp rate to about 50 degrees Fahrenheit per hour, but possibly a little slower depending on the brand and the size. We would also include a one hour per inch of thickness hold at key points related to the dehydration points of the cement that I mentioned earlier. So that means we're gonna wanna hold at about 250 Fahrenheit for removal of the free water, another hold around 500 Fahrenheit for that first dehydration point, and another at around 650 for the second dehydration point. And then you go ahead and cool it back down at 100 degrees Fahrenheit per hour, naturally, without forced convection, to finish her up. Again, it's not a blanket schedule for all precast shapes, but it's seen success with many. For a more accurate dryout, definitely reach out to us and we'll we'll work through it with you. So hopefully after all that, you understand a little bit more about the challenges in properly drying out castable materials and how you can see critical differences between one-sided and multi-sided dryouts. Precast shapes are an awesome technology and really unlock a whole new side of refractory installation possibilities. But nobody wants to see a failure in refractory dryouts. So hopefully this little one-shot helped equip you with the tools you need to achieve success in implementing precast shapes into your application. If you have any questions related to multi-sided dryouts, any products mentioned in the show, or would like to walk through a precast opportunity of your own, again, reach out to us at technical-marketing at thinkhwi.com. In the meantime, get out there and enjoy your summer. We'll be back next month with more fun talking points in the refractory industry.